Welcome to eavesdropping at the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jose. I'm Mike. And we've just come back uh, from seeing uh, The Commuter, uh, which is uh, a low-budget uh, uh, film uh, directed by, uh, I think it's Jean Colette Serra, a Catalan director, uh, who's made a career out of doing these low-budget action and horror films. This is his third uh, outing with uh, uh, Liam Neeson. Um. My first thought is, why does Liam Neeson keep doing these films? Because they're very successful. And actually, these are the types of films that have made him a star. And I like them. But why doesn't he do proper acting anymore? <laughs> well, I don't know that he doesn't. Um, it's, this is all anyone I I, knows him for. It's basically, for 10 years, he's been doing Taken and versions of Taken. Yeah, well, these are his hits. Yeah, but this is like all anyone sort of... No, he's done I, very good I find work. him so unbelievable when he shows up as... Oh, no, I love him. A I normal man. Story. A normal man living in America. I I love the way he's used in this film. And actually, I love all of those films. Uh, and some of them have been kind of masterpieces, actually. There's one... What's, what is it called? The Fox or something like that? Or The Wolves? He goes up north in the snow and he's got this job... And then he ends up kind of fighting wolves in order to survive. I thought that was like a fantastic, fantastic film. Right. Um, so, um, so I disagree with you. I think, uh, you know, this is where he's found his niche. He was an actor who was kind of a leading man, really not going anywhere for really about 20 years. I mean, you know, kind of uh, um, the uh, Steven Spielberg's... Uh, What's the name of the film? The the Holocaust film. Schindler's List. Schindler's List was, you know, his first starring kind of role where he's at the center of everything and he's got a part he can sink his teeth into. Mm. You know, before that, he was kind of leading man to probably every every female star in Hollywood, really. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, incredibly handsome, uh, uh, but never quite hit. So actually, these are the films that have made him a star. I know that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's no mystery why he keeps doing them, but I just, I'm getting a bit tired of them, that's all. Oh, I like them. Yeah, yeah I never get tired of them. And I, and I, I do, st I still find it a kind of, I, I still think it's kind of a square peg around. I've never quite believed him, even though people love him. I love him. I've never quite believed him in them. Not in a way that like a Tom Cruise or Bruce Willis fits them. I love him, and I think he's braver and more daring than somebody like Tom Cruise. I mean, if you look at... I saw Tom Cruise and Graham Norton, and his whole face is inflated. He's becoming, like, you know, a male share or something. He's got so much Botox and work done, and, you know, he's got this shiny, inflated skin like a housewife of Beverly Hills. Does his own uh, stunts, though. Break his yeah. ankle. Mm. He does my stunts as well. <laughs> yeah, well, he's welcome to he block from me if he wants to. Uh, anyway... Anyway, the, but the thing is, there's a close-up on this yeah. where, you know, his, his face comes into focus on the camera and you see that he's a 60-odd-year-old man. Yeah, you well, see they, every line, every little bit of liver he says, spot. He says the line of dialogue, I'm a 60-year-old man. It's when he loses his job uh, yeah. and, he, and he's right up close to the camera and it's a kind of wide-angle shot and it distorts him and it looks weird. But then at the same time, you can tell he's sort of got loads of makeup on as well, like... It's, he's like a 60-year-old man who's got movie makeup on. It's weird to look at. Well, I didn't notice that, I must say. I, I uh, thought I thought that. 
And so, um, and I, I find it interesting that he's continuing to do these roles. They're less kind of demanding of his body than they, they used to be. But there's still quite a few action scenes. Um, but anyway, I don't care. That's not what attracts me to these, to these movies. Mm-hmm. What attracts me to them is the really uh, live films, the really kind of slimmed down. Uh, uh, it's all kind of bare bones character action. And I think the balance in this is very good, actually. Uh, yeah, so I'll just say what it's kind of uh, about, um, uh, uh, and spoilers will be coming up. Um, so Liam Neeson is this insurance guy who used to be a cop, uh, but he's doing insurance now, and he's he's, he's just about kind of making money, mm-hmm. uh, living paycheck to paycheck with with his wife and and uh, the kids, and then he gets laid off. Um, and on his train trip home, he, he commutes every day, hence the title. And on his train trip home, uh, he is offered some money by a mysterious woman played by Vera Farmiga, mm. who says, if you do something small um, that will affect someone else's life a lot, you don't know what it is, and we give you a hundred grand, will you do it? And so he ends up doing it. He kind of, he slightly gets sucked into it, but he takes the money. So he's made his choice. It turns out that, that the thing that he has to do is identify someone on this train who uh, has a bag and who, who doesn't belong there and put a tracker on this bag um, for some bad guys to then, you know... Kill. Well, kill, yes. Uh, but well, things develop, and then obviously revelations come out, and, and you know, because it's, it's mysterious. And, it, and it's, a, it's a lovely little kind of... It's a lovely little hook. Like, I was in, you yes. know? I wanted to know what was going on. It's, it's one of these films that, rather like Phone Booth or something, it sets up a weird question. Yes. Uh, and then you, you want it to be answered. It's a smart premise for a thriller, really. Um, and I loved all of the beginning. So the film begins with like these quick cuts of you know the repetitive thing of a man waking up with his wife who is Elizabeth McGovern and you know being uh, uh, teaching his, his helping his child do his literature uh, uh, reading or reading it along with him uh, and being driven to the commuter train and this happens every, you know so you, you get a very very quick impression through kind of you know this really beautifully edited kind of quick sequence that this is the daily routine and you know this is a happy life and it's a loving family and so on Mm. you know but you get a sense of like time passing that this is the routine and this is the life and it's kind of dull but it's kind of nice yeah Yeah. and you know and I thought there was more cinematic savvy in that sequence than in all of the film that we saw yesterday (laughs) downsizing downsizing so you know still not recovered from that I haven't been to sleep since I saw that yes but, that, but I mean, that is because I work nights. Mm. <laughs> it's not because it kept me up going, oh my God, how do I cope? <laughs> <laughs> the knowing you it probably did as well. <laughs> but I can tell you that because I was so tired then when it came to watching this because I had no sleep, um, that if we'd seen downsizing today instead of the commuter, I would have fallen asleep. Yes. I can guarantee that. Um, whereas this, you know, kept me awake. Apart from one scene where I slightly nodded off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a perfect film, you know, so it slacks off at the end and there's too much... There's, there's too much time devoted to tightening up all of the loose ends at the end, right? Which kind of swells up the film unnecessarily. But almost until then, it's a really tight, taut thriller with just kind of some really wonderful cinematic flourishes. I mean, there's the one shot which begins on one side of the train, right? And then kind of moves through all of the different carriages through glass as if, you know, the camera's just moving through the glass. I thought that was wonderful. And there's a, there's a fight as well between Liam Neeson and, uh, I think... Uh, a, a guy who he thinks is the target, um, which all is edited and filmed uh, to 
look as if it's taking place in one take. Yes. Uh, and that kind of, it moves around the carriage and in the end of going outside the window and back in again. And that's quite stylish. And um, you can tell, you can tell that how it's been fudged yes. or how it's been kind of put together in some some ways. But nonetheless, it's, it's quite impressive. Yeah. And, you know, there's a scene where um, he arrives at the train station and you get the sense of like, you know, all of these commuters rushing into the train you know, and then kind of there's they, like... They fade around him. They fade around him, you know, and he ends up alone. And you do get a sense of like, you know, kind of some of the existential dilemmas that these yeah. these Liam Neeson thrillers kind of, you know, it's their, it's their meat and potatoes, these existential yeah. questions. So 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 I like I like it very much. Uh, and I did I thought, spend a lot of time thinking, how long is it going to be before he starts crushing heads? To be honest, and actually, yes. he doesn't really crush heads, no, which he disappointed me slightly. I was expecting something slightly different, but that's just what the film is. Uh, I, you know, I just wish he crushed a few heads. What can I say? Well, I, I do think that this is where his age is beginning to show, and I didn't expect that. Actually, I did kind of wonder how they were going to limit, you know, some of those action scenes because he is getting on a bit, and the film makes a point of him getting on a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, he gets beaten up. You know, he, the first instance. He loses the fight, which, you know, I don't remember him. I don't remember that happening to him before, though. I'm sure it might. Well, to be fair, in Taken 2, he is the one who's captured. He and his wife. Yes. Okay. There you go. Um, So there is, there's always an element of kind of uh, making him the underdog to bring him back up. You know I mean? If he's on top the whole way through, then that's just, that's boring. I love him. I love his voice. You know, he's got this very deep kind of voice that's just full of sadness and melancholy. You know, I mean, even when he's trying to be cheery, there's a kind of a sadness that just the tone of his voice uh, evokes and that is very well suited uh, to these films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also thought it was an achievement of this film, not only to, you know, to make to make the, the, the film so, so, so taut, you know, where kind of you see how all the pieces fit, but also you do get a sense of all of the characters that inhabit the railway carriages, right? So it's not all about Liam Neeson. He's clearly the star and the protagonist and everything revolves around him. But actually what revolves around him are also people who are given a story and a backstory and who interacts with. And actually the playing of all of those supporting roles is very, very good. Yes, I, I really enjoyed... Um, uh, it's basically an early sequence where he's getting on the train and trying to find somewhere to sit. It's crowded as hell after. It's where, which when he's just lost his job, so things are a bit hectic. Yes. And he gets on the train... Uh, and he's kind of mentally slightly dispossessed and um, and everything around him slightly becomes heightened and so he, and, and the camera focuses on a couple having an argument or a woman reading the paper or this and, the other, and you, you really get a very rich sense of, of the life on the train and the different mm. types of people. Yes, and I also think it's much more socially relevant uh, than a film like Downsizing. So, you know, the, the focus is on the action and on the thrills, but nonetheless, kind of the picture of the world that is depicted for us is one of precarity. It's one where people lose their jobs. It's one where there is no justice. You know, the kind of the banks rule everything and kind of, you know, bankers dismiss other people by the shoes they wear, you know, and big business kills people, you know, and everyone is under surveillance. Yeah, and kind and of... People can be bought and everyone has a boss. Yeah. And, the, the uh, and, and people lose their jobs with regularity and kind of their economic insecurity and, you know, their savings and their pensions are wiped out. The, uh, the central MacGuffin, which is, which is this, this girl has something in a bag, um, 
uh, it's, it's something to do with there's a there's a massive corporation or, or kind of cabal of people um, who are very powerful who want this thing stopped because it would expose something. It, and it's very general. It's never said, oh, it's a petroleum thing or it's mm. a whatever. Um, but but it's just this sense of it's it's money at work. Yeah, and that's and very believable. Although there is that one, uh, there's that one line where it is slightly overdone. Where there's a, there's a character on the train. Uh, who's in like a, a stockbroker who's high powered and he's showing off about his suit and he's getting annoyed at being around all these grubby people who mm. get the train. Um, and uh, and it turns out that he used to work for Goldman Sachs yes. after having an argument with Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson sort of pops back into frame and says, From the middle classes of America, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, it tries for those Schwarzenegger nineteen eighties quips, doesn't it? A little bit. That 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 seemed to me like it was it was, it was like tr- trying to get the audience to cheer, like yes, we're yes. the middle class of America. Liam Neeson is one of us. Yes, <laughs> which he's not really because um, he's Liam Neeson. Yeah, but anyway, I, th- I thought the film does all kinds of interesting things with all of that actually, and and is much like I said, is much more of a critique and much more of a consistent critique. Mm. You know, than kind of what we saw uh, in the in the in downsizing. The only things that I had not pro- problems with. No, actually, I don't have problems with it. I was going to say, you know, kind of the women, but actually, there's lots of women. There are lots of different kinds of women in the film. You know, from mm-hmm. nurses to his wife to, and actually, you know, the mastermind of the whole crime ends up uh, spoilers uh, being Vera Farmiga. Right, representing. Well, yeah, I mean, she's there right at the start. Like, you know, she's bad news from the start. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, but um, I'm just saying she's and, very and then good. Also, and also, the person who is uh, uh, whistleblowing is, is a 16 year old girl. Yes. Um, uh, so, and Vera Farmiga is very good, and she gets a real star entrance. You see a flash of her, you know, and then you see her a flash of her shoes, black and white shoes, very striking. Yeah, and that's the first thing is her know? shoes. Yeah, and then it's her just behind a door, and then she disappears. Yeah, and it's, so ooh. she she gets a real entrance. It's a just, bit uh, Hitchcocky. Yeah, it's very well done. And actually, you know, as a formal exercise, I mean, here's a film that kind of 90% of it takes place on a train. Yeah, it's high know? concept. Yeah. yeah, so um, so I, I, I liked it, really. It's, you know, it's it's not one of the great masterpieces of the cinema. Uh, it's it's not even the best B-thriller. But I, I found it very good. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I'm not quite as effusive as, as you are. I'm, I, I, wasn't as quite as taken with it, but um, yeah, there were things. I, I liked, uh, for instance, how much of a detective story it was early on. So the the, the task that that uh, Liam Neeson is given is find this one person on the train who stands out, and they have a bag, and then you have to tag them. It's like, and uh, and if you do that, you get this money. So it's this weird kind of like single task he has to do from from just a standing start, and and then. The, that's when that shot happens of going down the train mm. and you're seeing all the carriages and all the possibility of who this person could be. Mm. And um, for like 15, 20 minutes or more, it's like Murder on the Orient Express. Yes. Right? Yeah, I like that. It really is. Although yeah. it's more it's more like a bag yeah. on Helen 1, 2, 3. I mean, I mean, for me, there were... So there were certain things that didn't kind of sit right, right? So on the one hand... Like, these forces of evil are kind of unknown. Like, you know, they're the financial services or banks, or mm. but they're never named. Uh, so, kind of... Then the other thing is 
that the police is corrupt. He's betrayed by his very best friend. So really, you know, the film has this thesis that the only people that you can count on is yourself and your family, really. Uh, but on the other hand, it has this Spartacus moment at the end, you know, where the, the you know, the, the, mm. the gunman says, who is Prin? You know, and so, and Prin says, I am Prin. And then everybody goes, I am Prin, I am Prin. I go, oh, come on. <laughs> like, we know you've seen Spartacus, fuck off. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. But then, well, I mean, I, I thought, actually, before that happened, I knew it was going to happen. And I thought, oh, don't do Spartacus. But then it happened and I was all right with it. Right. And I also like that they undercut it because the one character, the, one of the uh, guys who works on the train, who's a total coward, goes, I'm not Prince, can I just... And, yeah. that, and that was quite a funny little bit. Yeah, he's, he's all right. But that was so expected. Of course it was, but I just still didn't mind. Like, I, because the thing was, Spartacus was expected. Yeah. So undercutting it was expected too, but I'm glad they did it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, just to sort of not quite... Like, otherwise, it would be selling it as like this really full-on emotional sort of everyone coming together moment. Mm. And I'm glad that they were aware enough to mm. to not quite go that far yeah okay um, I was alright with it but I, I think I I think it's not as good as things like uh, well, the, the train stuff there's a whole thing about the train can't slow down which is um, not as good as uh, Unstoppable the Tony Scott film mm. and I think that's just the general kind of high concept sort of uh, weird thing happening and you're stuck in one place Pales in comparison to phone booth, mm. which I think is like the high watermark for me. Although maybe that maybe that's because I saw that when I was fifteen. But nonetheless, like I, I love that movie um, because it really is. I mean, Liam Neeson has got five carriages to play with here. Colin Farrell had a phone booth. Yes, that was pretty awesome. Um, the only other thing I'd like to point out is you know I just thought it interesting because the film begin you know so it has this routine of him waking up at six a.m. every morning to the radio. You know, and of course, right by uh, his bed is uh, uh, Thafon's book, uh, uh, Shadow of the Wind. Uh, and I thought, mm, I wonder how much, um, you know, the kind of the Catalan angle is going to be played, you know, and then you realize, oh, well, it's it's New York. Yeah. <laughs> and also there's a dramatic line or a line that attempts to be dramatic, like a kind of a twist at one point where uh, he's managed to get all of the remaining sort of suspects uh, into one carriage and then he's hon- he's zoning in on, on one guy who he's sure is uh, is, is the, the target and he's looking for someone who doesn't normally get on the train because it's it's someone who is out of place mm. and he's like it's, it's you it's definitely you mm. um, and after a lot of this he then notices that his ticket is he goes this is a monthly ticket yeah. which means he gets on all time it's like that is supposed to be a dramatic twist <laughs> this, is a, this is a monthly ticket I thought uh, the narrative structure was very good because, you know, I think for the first half of the film or the first, you know, close to two thirds, he's looking for the person, right? And then the last bit, he's actually kind of trying to protect the person, Mm. you know? So I thought kind of it was a very simple, neat kind of structure but like very beautifully done yeah the, the, the way the story evolves quite organically because I think at the start I guess I was kind of expecting you know the search for this person is going to be the whole film and then by the at the end he'll find them that'll be the climax but of course he, he actually he, well, he doesn't find them but he kind of he starts identifying suspects incorrectly mm. early on and then as a consequence of that people die yes and so and then the story changes and he realises what the danger is so um, so as you say then it becomes about 
protecting people, uh, about uh, fighting the people who are doing this to him, yes. about making sure his family's okay, and, he, and it all gets quite And brought. it becomes a moral question, because, you see, initially it was like to take this money to find this person. But actually what the film then shows you is that to find this person is to have this person killed, right? So it's almost like kind of the moral stakes in each of the questions in, as the film unfolds alter and become deeper you know yeah um so so i like that aspect of the film as well it has kind of you know it has a kind of a moral stance on what it's showing yeah. which actually is not very usual in films of this well, actually yeah thinking about because the, the, right at the start the film is framing everything as a question of money mm. um it's about how is he going to live now that he's lost his job and this thing is a lifeline it's a hundred thousand dollars that, mm. that will help him out considerably um and then, uh, as you say, you kind of you, you learn that finding this person means they die, and so the money becomes less important. And then he loses the money uh, with because uh, his bag gets caught, and it ends up going off into the wind. But he only loses part of the money. Yeah, he only loses twenty five grand because he'll get the other seventy five grand later, theoretically. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, he loses that you know big big amount of money that's in his bag. So, and actually, the film kind of uh, doesn't make any any big deal about it. It's like. It, the money is forgotten about by the end of the film uh, by the conclusion it, there's no question of uh, what happened to that money or, or what's going to happen it, it was the money was completely forgotten and it was all about protecting the people well the question is really what price would you put on to kill an uh, you know an innocent person really you know, what are you, yeah, what are you willing, what's Well, no, I price? don't think that is the question, that's the thing. Because it, 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 the, the film well, never frames it that way. Well, it does, because at the end, you know, he puts his family at risk in order not to kill. So actually, he's the person who just will not kill. Okay, but, it, but I, I thought you meant in terms of monetary value, because we were talking about the money. Well, like, no. it, it never frames it in that, in that sense. Once, no, it, no. Once, it, once, the woman, once the woman's life is in the frame, or once, once a human life is in the frame... The money is basically immediately forgotten. Yeah, okay, so the, the thing that might be confusing it here is the question of price, or the word price. Yeah. Nonetheless, he's not, he's, he's, he's not willing to kill the, this innocent person, even if it means that his family might be killed, hmm. right? So kind of, you know, so even, so I'm saying that's the price of him not killing this person might be that his own family gets killed, hmm. and yet he's still unwilling to kill. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, which I thought was 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 interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, actually, I mean, if you think about it, that, it's a fucking dumb decision. Like, it, you you found even if, even just from an actuarial standpoint, your family is three people, and this person is one. Do the maths. <laughs> <laughs> I see kind of moral judgments on Gary much weight with you. <laughs> that is a moral judgment. No, it's not. That's an economic kind of assessment of you know, kind of what's the price of a life. Yeah, three is better than one. <laughs> so you would kill one person to save three. I mean, if I had no other choice. Well, but you don't what, know that because Liam Neeson gets lucky; he sticks it out, and eventually it turns out his family doesn't get killed. You because, and and, and so the reason, get... but the reason it turns out all right, because actually, I think the reason that Liam Neeson sticks it out, waiting for a bit of luck, is because he knows that he's in an action film and it will happen. And actually, if it was real life, Liam Neeson would not behave like that. All right, let's end it here. <laughs> it's a really good movie. I really highly recommend it as a, as a genre B picture. It's kind of, you know, if you don't have massive expectations for it, it's fun to watch. Yeah. I don't highly recommend it, but I, it's all right. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
I mean, see phone booth first, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother with uh, 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 phone booth. See, um, phone booth is great. Again, again. We'll, we'll see unstoppable. Because that's that's gone. That's a, another great film. Just see this one. Well, just see Unstoppable because that's a really great, another um, working class kind of blue collar America thing, and it's got great train stuff. Better train stuff than this. I mean, the chase stuff. <laughs> all right, we are on Twitter, Facebook, iCloud. <laughs> are we on iCloud? Uh, We're uh, on Twitter. Let me do it. Okay. We're on Twitter at eavesdrop movies and we're on Facebook, uh, eavesdropping at the movies, eavesdropping at the movies at gmail.com if you email us, all sorts. We've, um, we've had no comments worth reading out today. No, uh, <laughs> we haven't, uh, though we welcome them um, yeah. and we've been uh, receiving both really nice and really helpful ones. So uh, please do uh, get in touch if, uh, if you want to. And you wanted to apologize for forgetting about Nebraska. Oh, no, I don't want to apologize, but it's just, you know, kind of after we had our podcast yesterday. Uh, uh, on downsizing. Know, yeah, on downsizing. I realized that he'd been the director of Nebraska. Uh, which we forgot about. Which we forgot about. And, you know, and it was just interesting that he's someone who is associated with something like Sideways and really not, you know, Nebraska. When you think of Nebraska, you think of Bruce Dern and you think of black and white and you think of that landscape. You know, um, so anyway, I just kind of wish we'd made more of a connection kind of yesterday. But because our policy is really to not research, to try to <laughs> avoid information as much as possible before seeing the film and then, you know, to come and, and, and base our conversation on the film we just saw rather than on everything that surrounds the film. It's just one of those things that escaped. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that happened with The Snowman, because I think if we'd known with The Snowman, about its production problems, we would have we would have evaluated it quite differently, yeah. because I think actually we both ended up saying we kind of like the snowman, but it's a bit off how the story doesn't really make sense. Uh-huh. And and everyone else I've seen talking about the snowman was saying this is terrible and how and they ruined it and the production problems had all this impact and blah blah. blah. And I think I think actually if other people had seen it the way we saw it, they might have liked it a bit more. Yes, the wonderful film that I was uh, thinking about with Liam Neeson that I think is just wonderful is The Grey. It's called The Grey. Oh, um, yeah, I've heard of it. Um, and that, you know, I highly recommend. We have very little time. Okay. That's my Liam Neeson. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up here. Yeah, bye-bye. Go- goodbye. <laughs> that is so unlike me, Liam Neeson. I will find you, and I will kill you. That was all right. Well, it's deep. That doesn't sound like Liam Neeson. (laughs) Answers on a postcard.